0: and most of us if we're trying to get a pay rise at least try and please our bosses as well but the most important person to try to please isn't actually any of these people the most important person to seek to please in life is actually God ultimately God's opinion is the only opinion that actually really matters at all Because God's opinion is the only opinion that is eternal. Everybody else's opinions will come and go, they will come and go, but God lasts forever, God is eternal, and so his opinion should matter to us more than anybody else's. Now I'm making a really big assumption here this morning, but I'm assuming that because you're here in church, God's opinion about your life actually matters to you. And God's opinion is important to you, at least to some degree or other. Well, today I want to try and answer the title on your outline and up there on the screen. How to live a life that pleases God. How to live a life that pleases God. Now, we've been able to celebrate this morning some of the great things that God has done for us, done in us, done amongst us during the last year. And as we look into the year ahead, it's important that as individuals and as a church, we make sure that the way that we live is pleasing to God. Now we're going to get the right PowerPoint up there in a minute. Uh, Paul will just sort that out for us. It's in documents. It's all there as it should be. And it'll be up there from the screen. There's an outline in your seat on the flip side of your uh, notice sheet for the week ahead. So if you use those and there's things there for you to write down, all the verses are up there, whether the PowerPoint works or not. All the verses are there for you. Uh, so you'll be able to follow that through this morning. So we've been able to celebrate this morning, haven't we, some of the great things that God has done in our lives, in our church, and we've reflected too that life hasn't always been that easy for everybody here today. And it's important that we do that, and it's important that we, as we go into a new year, we make sure that the year ahead, that we try and please God as a church collectively and as individuals, that we try to please God in the way that we live. And we're going to look at our passage today in Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14 to try to find out how to do this. But before we do, it's important that we understand that the very first step to pleasing God doesn't come through anything good we do. The first step to pleasing God is is found in one of the verses we looked at last week in Colossians 1 verse 4. And it's where the Apostle Paul, as he's starting out writing this letter, he's in prison in Rome and he's writing this letter to the church, to the Christians in Colossae, and he says this, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We have heard of your faith In Christ Jesus. The very first step to pleasing God is placing our faith and our trust in Jesus. And that means that we accept that we've sinned against God. It means that we know that we need his forgiveness and that we ask for his forgiveness. It means that we ask him to forgive us. We thank Jesus for dying for us there on the cross and taking the punishment for us. And it means that we turn away from living our old way of living and we turn instead to Jesus and we begin to live his way instead of living our way. And that's what repentance means. It means turning away from the old way and embracing Jesus and embracing his way of living. And that's something that every single one of us needs to do. And if we want to please God, then we can't begin to please God until we've accepted Jesus as our saviour. And so if you haven't come to a place in your life where you've bowed down and where you've accepted that you're a sinner, that you accept that you need God's forgiveness, then can I encourage you to do that? Because what better way to start this year, what better way to begin a new year, than to accept Jesus as your saviour, to humble yourself before his lordship, before his claims on your life. Because that's the very first thing. We can't begin to please God until we trust in Jesus. And if you've yet to do that, and can I encourage you to do that, challenge you to do that, take that step today to place your faith and your trust in Jesus and surrender your life to him. Now most of us today have probably done that. We've placed our faith in Jesus and we're seeking to live in a way that pleases God. But how do we do that? How do we live in a way that pleases God? Well, let's just read the next part of Colossians. It's, it's chapter 1 and it's 9 to 14. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And uh, if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me. And it's, uh, uh, it's just a short passage. You can listen if you want or you can turn with me. It's up to you. We're going to read from uh, verses 9 to 14 of Colossians 1. And Paul, as he continues his letter, says, For this reason... And the reason is the faith that these people have placed in Jesus and the way that they're demonstrating that faith by loving uh, their fellow Christians. For this reason, says Paul, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, how are you doing with reading Colossians this week? Anybody manage seven times? A few folks, yeah. Anyone? Maybe six, five, four, three. That's good. Very good. Even if you've only read Colossians once, it's once more than probably you would have done otherwise. So that's great. And if you've managed seven, that's fantastic. I think some people are having a bit of competition, last man standing. See in a few weeks who's still going. That's great. Keep going. Keep reading Colossians if you can. Well, Paul continues in his letter to the to these Christians at Colossae, and he says this in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, as we saw last week, Paul was in prison in Rome, and he'd heard about the church in Colossae from Epaphras, and and here he says that ever since he and his companions there in Rome heard about them, they haven't stopped praying for them. But there was a specific focus for their prayers. It was that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. Paul wanted these Christians at Colossae to know what God's will was for their lives. And we all want to know that, don't we? Everybody, you know, I think most of us want to know, what does God want me to do with my life? What job should I get? Should I get married? Should I get married? And if so, who should I marry? Where should I live? And these are important questions. These are big questions. But that is God's will at a fairly detailed level, if you like. It's a bit like Google Earth. You know, you're know, kind of zooming in and you're seeing the detail of it. But we can simplify what God's will is by zooming out, if you like, from the day-to-day, the week-by-week, the month-by-week, uh, uh, sort of month-by-month detail of our lives to a much broader, a much simpler picture. But look at verse 10, because in verse 10, Paul tells us what the aim of knowing God's will is, and therefore what God's will is. And in fact, this in itself tells us what God's overall will is for, his life, uh, for our lives. And Paul says this, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Paul wants them to know God's will so that they might live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way. If they know God's will, then they'll be able to live the way that God wants them to live, and that in turn will please God. So what is God's will then? How were they and how are we to know what God's will is? Well, actually, it's right here in this verse. It's a kind of circular argument Paul's using. God's will, and write this in, God's will is that I please him in every way. That is God's will. God's will is that I please him in every way because that brings him glory. And we are put on this earth, we are created, we exist to bring God's glory, to bring God glory. That is God's will. And if knowing God's will enables us to live a life worthy of the Lord and a life that's pleasing to him in every way, then we can simplify this right down and say that God's will at its simplest is that I please him. That is God's will. If you want to know what God wants you to do with your life, live a life that pleases him. That is his will. Because when I live in a way that pleases God, then I bring him glory. And our whole lives are meant to be about bringing God glory, bringing him honour and praise him then Paul says that the goal of our lives is to live a life worthy of the Lord the expression to live a life literally translated means to walk and some translations use that phrase Paul was using a common picture in the Bible according to which a person's lifestyle is pictured as a road that they're traveling along it's a kind of imagery that the Bible uses and frequently in the Bible two paths Or two ways are contrasted as ways of confronting us, confronting a person with the decisive choice that they must make. Will they walk this way or will they walk that way? This path or that path, this road or that road. So what Paul is saying is make sure the path you're walking on, the direction your life is going in, the way you live your life brings God glory, is pleasing to him. And what Paul is saying is that how I behave in my everyday life needs to be in a way that God would be pleased with. Now, the Bible talks about us as being ambassadors, being representatives of God. We're representatives of God whether we're at school. So when you're at school, if you're a Christian, if you know and love Jesus, you're there as a representative of God. In the classroom, you're representing God. When we're at work, when we're out with our friends in the town, when we're driving our car, wherever we are, we're representing God. And our behavior then should be the kind of behavior that matches up with that role, with that position, with that commission that God has given to be his representatives. If you imagine wearing a t-shirt and on your t-shirt everywhere you went, you had a phrase which said representative of Jesus, then that probably would make me think, would make me think a little bit more carefully about how I drive. I might be a little less keen to kind of express anger at someone who cuts me up. I might think more about how I talk or what I say and do because everybody's very it's very visible and clear that that I belong to Jesus, and therefore I'm an ambassador of him, and my behaviour then reflects on Jesus. I'm representing him. So it's good to stop and ask ourselves, if I'm thinking, is my behaviour at school, is that a good advert for Jesus? Or is the way I behave when I'm out with my friends in town, is that a good advert for Jesus? Or is the way I talk, is that a good advert for Jesus? Is my driving a good advert for Jesus? Is the way I handle my finances and the way I'm known for for honesty or, or otherwise, is that a good advert for Jesus? And if we think that way, it'll help us and cause us to behave more likely in a way that actually pleases God, so that we bear fruit as we do things which are good. Paul talks about bearing fruit in every good work. The Bible uses lots of pictures to try and communicate truth to us. And one of the pictures is of these two paths, of the kind of road, the way that we live, the way that we walk. Another picture is of trees bearing fruit. And it's used over and over again, and Jesus and Paul use it. Plants and trees, most of them anyway, are meant to produce fruit. And you can tell what type of a tree it is, can't you, by what kind of fruit it is. If, if you see a tree with apples, then you know it's an apple tree. And hopefully that apple tree is not only bearing apples, but good apples, apples that are good to eat. So you can tell a tree by the fruit it produces and by the quality of the fruit it produces. An apple tree is meant to produce apples, and hopefully they'll be good apples. And using this picture, we are meant to produce behavior, fruit, if you like, products, the, the, the outworking of our Trust in Jesus is that we are meant to produce behavior that matches up to our claim to be a follower of Jesus. So if we think of ourselves as apple trees, then we should be producing apples, and we have to think, so what does an apple look like for me as a Christian? It means that my behavior, my speech, my, my way of living, my way of acting, my behavior all of this needs to speak of Jesus so that when people look at us, they see from our language our behavior, our honesty, our kindness. our our attitudes, all these different things, that we are followers of Jesus, that we're producing fruit, and it's good fruit. That when people come into contact with us, they might not like us, they might not necessarily agree with everything we do or say, but they will know we are people. It's good to be around because we produce good fruit. And as we live lives that please God and live lives that match up to our claim to be followers of Jesus, then we'll also grow in our knowledge of God, says Paul. So we need to stop and, and just ask ourselves on a regular basis, don't we? Three questions that I've put on your outline and are up on the screen. Will what I'm doing, will this please God? As I'm going to go out tonight into town or as I'm going to work today, as I'm driving, is, is, is what I'm doing right now, is thinking, saying, behaving and so on, or what I'm going to do later, is this going to please God? As what I'm watching right now, is this, is, is this pleasing to God? Is my very act of watching it pleasing to God or what I'm reading or what I'm looking at, whatever it might be? And am I bearing fruit? Do people see good stuff in me? Do people see Jesus in me? And am I growing in my knowledge of God as I do these things? You see, God's will is that we please Him. And if we behave in a way that's pleasing to Him, then we are always going to be doing His will. It's a circular argument Paul's using. So if you want to know what God's will, then we need to ask ourselves this question will this please God? Because if it will, then we are doing God's will. What I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, what I'm about to read, watch, wherever I'm going, will these things please God or will they not? But how are we to know then what pleases God? That's the kind of next question is. Well, speaking about the Christians in Colossae, Paul says in verse 9 that he's been asking God to fill them with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So if we're seeking to follow Jesus, and if we're seeking to please God, then we'll be looking to find out what has God got to say about this particular kind of situation I'm facing? What has God got to say about this situation that I'm, I'm encountering? And Paul says that we find out through spiritual wisdom. It's wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit as he indwells us. The Bible teaches that everybody who trusts in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in them. And, that, and the Holy Spirit gives us his wisdom. It's through the Holy Spirit that lives inside us, prompting us and guiding us and leading us and giving us that wisdom and understanding. But he does that hand in hand as we read the Bible. The very words, of course, the Bible are inspired and given and written by the Holy Spirit anyway. So the Holy Spirit is never going to contradict what he's already written. So he may speak to us through other people, through prophecies, through, through words of knowledge, through, through Bible verses that we receive, through just the kind of inner sense of him speaking to us, maybe a whole variety of different ways. But it's never going to contradict what he's already written, what he's already given to us in the Bible. And as we read the Bible, the Holy Spirit will enlighten our hearts, will show us, will bring to us, the words that he wants us to hear for different situations. The Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us to the truth and he'll show us what the wise and godly thing to do is in different situations. Paul says the same thing in Romans 12 verse 2. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. The world that we try to live in or the world that we do live in will try to influence us to live in all sorts of ways that are not pleasing to God. In fact, this world, the Bible says, is completely and utterly opposed to God's ways. But the Bible calls us, God calls us to to live in a way that's no longer conforming to the ways of this world. Part of trusting in Jesus is about repentance, it's about a change of direction, a change of thinking, and so we no longer are meant to conform to the way this world tries to get us to conform. And we're meant to think differently. We're meant to think biblically. We're meant to think in line with the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And so we have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we have to feed our mind. We do that as we feed our mind with God's Word, His written Word found in the Bible. See, our mind is being fed with all sorts of stuff. We can't help that, just as we're kind of going through life, the media, other people's conversations, things that we're seeing and hearing, all the rest of it. And we have to make a conscious choice to... And and that real conscious decision to renew our minds, because it's being fed with stuff all the time. So we have to make that decision to renew our minds, to renovate, to refurbish, to restore, to replenish our minds with good things, with with God things. See, we're all being brainwashed all the time. People sometimes say, oh, you Christians are just brainwashed. Well, we're all brainwashed. The question is, what are we washing our brains with? Our brains are being kind of bombarded with stuff all the time, and, and more and more today with so much visual imagery all around us. The question is, what are we washing our brains with? Are we feeding it with good stuff? Are we feeding it with the Word of God, or are we allowing the corrupt stuff in this world to wash our minds? And as we spend time every day washing our minds with the pure water of the Bible, of the Word of God, then it will renew our minds. And then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. I don't know about you, but this week, as I've been reading through Colossians, I thought, well, since I've set this, I ought to make sure so I do it myself as well. That would be embarrassing. And just reading through Colossians and not particularly studying it, but just reading it. And there's been different ways in which different phrases or verses have jumped out and challenged me about an attitude or a kind of way of behavior or things that in ways in which I'd allowed myself to be dragged away from God's way. And just that gentle, the Holy Spirit gently speaking as, as, as the water of the Word just kind of washing my mind. And, and that's why it's so important just to daily read the Bible, to do that. So the way to find out what pleases God is to find out by reading the Bible. Simple, I know, but it's so profound and so true. God wants us to know his will by studying the Bible under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Write that in on your outline. God wants me to know his will by studying the Bible under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So it's not about studying the Bible just as an academic exercise, as a dry thing. It's not about just getting knowledge. If we're just about turning up at church or reading our Bibles for knowledge and we've kind of missed the point, but the Word of God is a living thing. It's a dynamic thing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. But as we read it, we should do it under guidance and, in the, and the power of the Holy Spirit who authored it in the first place. And then we'll see how God wants us to live in every situation. And if we do what, we, what he says, then we will please him. But Paul tells us more about the way in which we please God in verse 11, where he says, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Now we'll see in a few weeks' time that it's those that endure and keep going that are the real followers of Jesus, that are truly saved. They are the ones, they are the true followers of Jesus. Those that are truly saved will endure. Those that have endured are those who have been truly saved. And so Paul clearly wants the people in the church at Colossae to to endure, to have that patience, to keep going and keep following Jesus. And he's praying for them to have that, to keep going to the end, to be those overcomers that Revelation talks about, and to enable them to have that great endurance. They needed to keep going and keep on following Jesus. They needed to be strengthened with all of the power that God, in his glorious might, could give them. And Paul uses great big charged terms here, glorious and might, expressing the fact that that God's power isn't just some kind of whimsy power. This is all the power that we need. The Christian life can be really difficult at times, can't it? Life is really difficult, and being a Christian doesn't exempt us from the difficulties of life, whether that's illness, uh, job problems, economic struggles, or whatever it might be. Being a Christian doesn't exempt us or remove us from that. And if we're going to keep going, if we're going to endure, then we need to stay close to God and we need to keep on relying totally on Him for His strength and power. So write this in. God wants me to endure by choosing to rely on Him. The temptation of life can be to either quit and give up when life gets tough and we can walk away from God. Or sometimes we try looking to other sources for strength and comfort. We look to alcohol. We look to medication. We look to relationships sometimes, to other people. All sorts of things that we subtly find ourselves replacing God with so that our our reliance is upon this rather than on God. Put my reliance in this substance or in this person or in this situation rather than trusting in God. But as Paul prays for the Colossians, and the same is true for us today, he prays that they will endure to the end by relying on the one who is all-powerful and on the one who can and will give us the power and the strength to keep going and to endure. And when we're in those difficult times, whether it's money problems or health issues or relationship struggles or job problems, whatever it is, then if we keep focusing on how good God has been to us, not in whether we've had a good year or a bad year, because that comes and goes, but on uh, focusing on God's grace as found in Jesus, that he saved us from the power of sin and the result of sin, then that will really help us. Paul says in verses 11 and 12, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So in the midst of your struggle to endure, joyfully give thanks to the Father, says Paul. Paul's prayer for the Christians at Colossae was that as they relied on God and as they received his power to endure, they would joyfully give thanks to God the Father for saving them from sin. Joy seems like a strange word, doesn't it, when life is tough. Joy isn't happiness. Happiness comes and goes, and it comes and goes depending on our situations. It depends on whether we've got the things we want or not, and our happiness comes and goes upon that. Joy is something deeper. It's more powerful than short-term happiness. And Paul's point is this, that if we focus on how good God has been to us in saving us from sin, in the gospel, in his grace, giving us eternal life, then that will bring us a deep joy, much deeper, much more uh, eternal than this kind of temporary happiness that comes depending on whether I've got the good things in my life or not. Giving thanks to God with joy is a choice that we make every day. We can focus on our problems or we can focus on grace. The problem is that, that many of us have bought into a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Even though we may say it's appalling, we've bought into it because we end up, our Christian life is lived depending on whether or not my job is going well, or my finances are good, or I've got the things that I'm wanting in my life. And if I haven't, then I'm struggling with life. And the Bible doesn't promise us any of those. It, it, it calls us to focus on our hope, and our hope is eternal. It's eternal life. It's not about the stuff that comes and goes about focusing on that eternal hope. So I say, I will still choose to say, blessed be your name, even when I'm walking in the desert place. I praise God not because of how good he is or not to me this year, but I praise God simply because he's God and because of his grace in the gospel. So write this down. You see, focusing on God's grace will bring me joy and it will help me to endure. As we focus on all the amazing blessings that we've been that we have through and in what Jesus has done for us on the cross it will help the temporary problems horrendous though they sometimes may be but it will help what our temporary problems be put into perspective and help us keep going the Bible says this therefore we do not lose heart though inwardly though outwardly we are wasting away inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes on what is So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on our temporary problems and situations, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So so what is God's grace then? What is it we're meant to to, to get this joy from? Well, grace simply means treating somebody in a way they don't deserve. And God's grace is about God treating us in a way that we don't deserve. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus and accept God's free gift and offer to us, then we experience some phenomenal, amazing, things look at what paul says in verse 12 joyfully giving thanks to the father why well because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light god has qualified us if we've trusted in jesus he's qualified us to share in this inheritance of the saints his holy people god has brought us into his family a family to share in this wonderful inheritance that's on offer the eternal life that he gives and it's god who's done us he has qualified us it's not through what we've done it's not through our good works or anything else It is not something we've earned because we can't. It is God who has given it to us. It is his grace. Verse 13, Paul says, He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into this kingdom of the son he loves. See, outside of Jesus, before we trust in Jesus, the Bible talks about us being in a kingdom and a dominion of darkness under the rule of Satan, belonging to Satan's dark, horrible kingdom. Even if we might think we're having a wonderful time, the Bible describes us as being in darkness, being dead, and being under Satan's rule. But God has rescued us in Jesus, if we've trusted in him, from that terrible existence, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, this kingdom of light. We were chained up in the dark, doomed to eternal separation, eternal punishment from a holy God, and yet Jesus has come into this world and, and, and this is the phenomenal stuff. This is the amazing grace. This is the stuff we focus on and receive our joy that keeps us going and helps us endure to the end. Jesus has come into this world and he's set us free and he's rescued us and he's brought us into this wonderful kingdom in whom, says Paul, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's through Jesus that we have been redeemed. About a third of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. So these folks at Colossae were either slaves or slave owners. Probably the vast majority of them were either slave owners or slaves. So they understood this terminology, this language of redemption. They were familiar with the idea of somebody paying a price to set a slave free. Jesus, says Paul, has come and he's paid the ultimate price to set us free from slavery to sin, being chained in darkness. He's paid the price to come and rescue us and to rescue us from the darkness of sin. And the price he paid was his own life there on the cross as he was put to death for us. And because of his own life given there from the cross and because he took the punishment for you, for me, for all the wrong things that we've done, as we've trusted in him, if we've trusted in him, then we've been forgiven. And how amazing is that? How phenomenal is that? That is God's grace. God treating us in an outrageous way that we never did deserve and never could deserve. And we focus on God's amazing grace. It will give us great joy, or it should do. It doesn't look like it's a lot of joy this morning, but it should give us joy. Doesn't it give us joy? I know we're British, but come on. It's great joy. As we focus deep down inside joy that's beyond our circumstances, and it's a joy that overrides the temporary struggles of this life, because the struggles and the hardships of this life, terrible though that they can be, are temporary, whereas the forgiveness and eternal life that we have now are just that. They are eternal. And it gives us a joy that inspires us, or it should inspire us, to want to live a life, therefore, that pleases God. As we saw last week on that behavior triangle, we live—we do good things, in response to God's grace, not as a means of earning God's grace. And here we see the same thing. As we focus on God's grace, then it will give us joy. It will inspire us and it will motivate us to live lives that please God in every way. The lives, the kind of lives that bear good fruit. To live lives that bring honor and glory to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the wonderful grace that we have. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. We thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus. We Help, help us, we pray, to focus on your grace, that we might live lives that please you. Help us to read your word in response to your grace, to soak our hearts, to wash our minds with the pure water of your word, that we might... Bring our lives more and more into conformity with your will so that we live lives that are pleasing to you. Help us to do that individually, corporately, as a church this year. May we be those who bring you pleasure and honor and glory. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the great uh, celebrations that we have of your great uh, blessings to us this year. But beyond all the temporary blessings, we give you thanks for the eternal blessings of lives transformed, of lives saved, of all of our lives, that we've, those of us who have trusted in you, have been transformed by your gospel, by your grace. We give you thanks. We praise you. We commit the rest of this day to you. We pray now for the food that we're going to have shortly. We give you thanks for it. We thank you that every good thing we have comes from you, and we thank you for it and for those who prepared it. Bless our time together, and bless our time later as we pray and as we seek your blessing on the year ahead. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.